Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. We are going to start Hebrews 11 today, and we're going to get through one verse. One, one verse, and there's a, there's a lot to it, so it's okay. This will be, this will be really good. I, I was planning on actually trying to get through three verses today, and the Lord kept adding to the first verse and just kept pouring into it and writing and pouring. I thought, okay, Lord, if you just want to cover one verse today with 38 slides, then we will do that. And so that's, that's where we are today. It's going to be good. So I'm going to open us up in prayer, and let's, let's petition the Holy Spirit to teach us everything this morning. Lord, I thank you for this time together. God, I thank you for Hebrews 11. God, what a incredible chapter of the triumph of faith and walking boldly with you. And Lord, the world is trying to throw a lot of things right now at the church and at those walking with with you and walking in accordance with your spirit, humbly seeking you and chasing after the kingdom. And Lord, right now I pray that you would have a word for us out of Hebrews 11, and that, God, you would reign over this place and speak to us very clearly this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so as we are opening Hebrews 11 this morning, it is, this is, a, this is an incredible chapter, the Hall of Faith. A lot of people call it the Hall of Faith. If you look on Blue Letter Bible, it's called the Triumph of Faith. And the whole chapter is about faith. And as we're going through that, as we're going through that, what I, what I want all of us to remember is, okay, we've got to trust on the Holy Spirit, right? Just like we do every week before we start the message. We've got to trust on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us everything in Hebrews and everything in this chapter. And 1 John 2.27, if you're new here, or if you're listening online, this is the guiding verse for studying the word of God. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And that's what it's about. When the rapture happens, you're going to be caught doing something. You're going to be somewhere in your life. You're going to be doing something in your own personal life, in your job, with your family, whatever. And the word of God and the anointing that he has on you in the Holy Spirit is how you study and learn the word of God. And by learning and reading and studying it, you then grow in your faith exponentially so that you are not ashamed when he appears, that you are not concerned when your maker calls you home. And that's what it's about. 
is running and finishing the race. When you study, study the word of God, so many people started out strong for the Lord, but they, they failed at the end of their life. Think about David. David is probably one of the greatest men in the Bible. The Lord has nothing bad to say about David, but he blew it at the end by committing adultery and then following that up with murder, pre, predetermined murder at that. But yet he humbly sought the Lord. He had faith and he knew if I chase after the Lord, he will forgive me and make this right. And the Lord accounts that to him. Solomon's the total opposite. Solomon started out strong, blew it in the end, did everything the Lord told him not to do. He was not to multiply kings or wives, chariots, or gold. And he did all three and never sought the Lord out of it. And Jesus has nothing but bad things to say about him. So just think about that. That's the difference. It's not that we're not going to mess up. It's what, you're, what is your response when you do mess up? That's the, that's the litmus test. So on our outline, we're, closing, we're getting close to the end of, of Hebrews here. And Hebrews 10, 26 through chapter 12, it's really the true and better response is faith. And so out of all of this we learned about Jesus, the best response you can have out of it is faith. That is the key. Now, how, how do you get faith? What is it? All of that. That's what chapter 11 is all about. So if you remember from the beginning of Hebrews all the way through Hebrews 10, verse 18, the Holy Spirit was dealing with these heavy kind of theological issues. He was dealing with the, super, the superiority of Jesus to all three pillars of Judaism, the law, angels, and the Levitical priesthood. And how Jesus, as our high priest, which we talked about kind of during communion, he disannulled the law so that we were no longer a slave to the law. And he ushered in a priesthood superior to that of Levi. That's, we studied that a lot through the beginning of Hebrews. And picking up from last week, when we finished uh, Hebrews chapter 10, from that point through the rest of the book, it's all about what do you do with Jesus as our high priest, how his blood has conquered all, all of that, that you have open house now to the throne room of the universe. What is your response to that? And that response is faith. That's the response. So last time we went through, the whole book is built on these five warnings, the danger of drifting from chapter two, the danger of hardening the heart in chapter three and four, the danger of failing to mature in chapter five through six, and then the danger of willful sin. We covered that last week. The final danger is the danger of refusing. And each one of these builds upon the previous warning, and it ultimately culminates with apostasy. That's the trend. That's where this goes on a walk. When you're walking with the Lord, if you start to lose your grip, you start to drift, your heart starts to harden, then you fail to mature, then you start to commit willful sin, and eventually you just refuse the brethren and refuse the Lord, and you start to walk away. That's the pattern that happens that the scripture lays out very clearly. So our key is to study the book of Hebrews, recognize the weapons of our warfare. They are not flesh and blood. They are the word of God. And when you, if you want victory in walking with the Lord, it's got, you've got to use the word of God. That is the weapon of your warfare. It's not only the sword of the spirit, but it's also from Ephesians 6, the shield of faith. So what is faith? Right? How do you get it? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So the word of God is not only your sword, remember from Hebrews 4, it's sharper than a two-edged sword divided amongst us under the soul and the spirit. It's also your shield. It's your defense because the shield of faith. 
And so when the enemy starts to attack, do you have enough in the word of God buried inside of you and deep in your spirit and soul? Have you spent enough time with the Lord to be able to combat that and to ward off the fiery darts of the enemy? That is the key to it all. So as we're going through here, remember the warnings are in place because God is longing for a deep relationship with all of us. He is building and raising a family and he's got a kingdom coming and the warnings are here. Remember the whole book of Hebrews is written to the believer. It's to us. There's nowhere in the book that talks about how to get saved. It's to us, the church. And it's to cling to Jesus. Don't let your grip slip start and start to drift away because he's pleading with you and I, stay steadfast no matter what the enemy does because there's a kingdom at hand. Jesus is ushering in a kingdom for a thousand years. We studied that a lot through the book of Revelation, but that's the millennium and beyond is the most documented time period in the entire Bible. And so you and I need to know what that's about. So our first verse today, Hebrews 11.1, 1, our only verse today. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Okay, if you were to poll a thousand Christians, you would probably get 900 different answers on what faith is. Even the secular world uses that phrase, right? Well, you've just got to have faith. Faith in what is key, number one. And then what do you mean have faith? What does that even mean to have faith? Well, the Bible defines faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. That's Jesus. He is the substance of all that we hope for and the evidence of things not seen. There's something that you and I are not seeing right now. And we're going to talk a lot about that next time, about what does that mean? What is the supernatural world that's all around us that you're not seeing day in and day out? We get glimpses here and there, but that's, that's how you know you have faith, because you believe in that on the other side. So the definition of faith, the Greek word here in the New Testament is uh, pistis, and from a Greek lexicon, if you look at that, it's relating to God's the conviction that God exists and is the creator and ruler of all things, the provider and bestower of eternal salvation through Christ. Relating to Jesus, it's a strong and welcome conviction or belief that Jesus is the Messiah, because he is, through whom we obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. So those are just from a Greek lexicon from millennials ago, that was one of their, how they wrote about it. Okay, in the Old Testament, the first time faith appears is Deuteronomy 32, verse 20. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a very froward generation, children in whom is no faith. Okay, that's the first time. The first time in the Bible that word appears God is correcting and chasing after Israel those children that had no faith. Now, think about the children of Israel. They were, there is not a generation to live on the earth up until this time that has seen more miracles than the children of Israel delivered out of Egypt. But despite everything they saw, they had zero faith. They crossed the Red Sea on dry land, and 48 hours later, they were fashioning a golden calf and worshiping it. It's because, remember, what's the definition of faith? The substance of things hoped for, 
the evidence of things not seen. There is no faith in anything that you and I see. The faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. And when they got to Mount Sinai and the Lord rained down in fire and spoke to the entire congregation, they refused him from that point on. Remember, they all went to Moses and they pleaded with him, do not ever let that happen again. You go talk to God and then tell us what he says. So from that point on, they didn't want to hear from God. And that's what the Lord is saying in Deuteronomy 32, 20, in whom is no faith. They did not want to hear the word of God. And so the last word of this verse in the Hebrew, uh, imun, it's only used in four other spots in the entire Old Testament. It's translated three times as faithful and once as truth. Proverbs 13, 17, a wicked messenger faileth into mischief, but a faithful ambassador is health. So think about that. A wicked messenger falleth into mischief. You know, there is nothing that will tear apart the church quicker than a wicked messenger. You know, someone that has a, a tongue to spread gossip, mischief, backbiting, tail-bearing, that is a complete abomination from the Lord. And he wants you to be a faithful ambassador exhorting one another and praying for one another. Talk to him about it, not other people. And that's what Proverbs 13, 17 says. Proverbs 14, 5, a faithful witness will not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. There's that word again, faithful. Proverbs 20, verse 6, most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, <laughs> but a faithful man who can find. You know, there's a key when you grow in your walk with the Lord that you don't look at yourself higher than you should. You know, you are humble, you're walking, you're walking with the Lord in humility, in a spirit of humility, in a spirit of absolute servitude to the kingdom and the church. Jesus modeled that when he washed the feet of the disciples. He was walking humbly, and that's what we are to do as the church. We're to serve one another. So Proverbs 20, verse 6, that's what it talks about. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. Isaiah 26, 2, open ye the gates that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. So that's the truth. That's that same word there. The other word, there's actually two words in the Old Testament for faith. Uh, that one in Deuteronomy we just looked at. And then the last word of faith in the entire Old Testament I love how the Lord bookends this. It starts with faith that the children of Israel had no faith, but yet Habakkuk 2.4, the last time faith appears in the entire Old Testament, is about being saved and justified by faith. Habakkuk 2.4, behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. That is how we are to live. So what does that mean what does that mean to live by faith? You know, if faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, how do you live by your faith if you don't have the word of God in you? You can't. So the just shall live by his faith. If you are not in the word of God daily and letting the word soak into you and renew your spirit and your mind, you will go astray. It's just the fact of the word of God. You've got to have his word. It is a supernatural exercise, not a logical one, 
bury it in your, in your heart and your mind and your soul and let it be your guide. So the Hebrew word there is imunah. So remember the last one was imun. This is imunah. It occurs 49 times in 49 verses in the Old Testament. It shows up a lot. And so it's, when you look at these passages, we're going to go through a lot of passages here. If you see in brackets or in parentheses in the verse, what I did was the H530, for example, Exodus 17.12. The, the Hebrew word is the same, imuna, but in our English, it's translated as steady. So every verse that we're about to go through, if you see parentheses H530, that is that word. Okay, and it's just translated in the English a little different in each verse. But let's look at these. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Remember, remember when Moses' hands, when they were in the battle, when his hands dropped, they would start to lose the war? But then people came alongside him as the leader of their, of their group that God had anointed to lead them out of Egypt, and they came alongside him to exhort him and lift him up so that the battle could be won. And we are to do the exact same thing in the church today. Think about if there's someone in the church serving, if there's someone in the church that is helping to exhort you and build you up and to help feed you and lead you, come alongside them and exhort them and lift their hands up and put a stone under them. What's that stone? The stone is always Jesus throughout the word of God. He is the rock from the beginning and the rock of ages. He is from everlasting to everlasting. It's something that really we don't do that well in the church is exhorting one another and especially the call to pray and, and exhort pastors and people that are leading and guiding the church. It's, a, it's an important call. So Deuteronomy 32.4, so faithful here is steady in, in Exodus 17.12. Deuteronomy 32.4, he is the rock, his work is perfect. There's that word, he is the rock, that's Jesus. For all his ways are judgment, a God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right is he. So if he is complete truth or faith, right? Because remember John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. So if you get faith by hearing and hearing by the word of God, well, Jesus is how you get that. So he's the rock. First Samuel 26, 23, the Lord rendered to every man his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered thee into my hand today, but I would not stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. Remember, this is when David and Saul were going back and forth. And David recognized the anointing that Saul had on him. And the Lord, he would not reach out his hand against the Lord's anointed. And so you've got to be careful about that too. You do not want to belittle or talk poorly about people that are anointed to do something for the kingdom. Because the Lord takes that very serious. When you look at that through the whole Bible, he's got a strict, strict rule on that. First uh, Kings 12, 15 Moreover, they reckoned not with the men into whose hand they delivered the money to be bestowed on workmen, for they dealt faithfully. So the people 
leading the, the tabernacle and the, and the temple in that time, they were dealing faithfully. That's what that word is. Second Chronicles 19.9, he charged them saying, thus shall ye do in the fear of the Lord faithfully and with a perfect heart. For the, for the word of the Lord is right and all his works are done in truth in Psalms, 50, or Psalms 33.4. Psalms 36.5, thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. Psalms 37.3, trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. So what I, what I want you to do is just get the sense from the Old Testament of what God is talking about here. Psalms 40 verse 10, I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. You know, you have a duty and an obligation to share the righteousness and the faithfulness of God and his word with God's people, despite the response that you have a responsibility to do that. Think about Ezekiel. We're studying Ezekiel right now in men's Bible study. He maybe had one of the most difficult callings on his entire life because God gave him a message and he told him beforehand, you're going to go give this message, but you're, the people are going to reject you. They are not going to accept you or my word. And he had to go do it anyway. But despite what the outcome is, you have a responsibility to cling to and teach and preach and declare God's righteousness, his faithfulness, his truth, and the truth of the word of God. That's, that is our mission right now. Your, your responsibility is not how one receives it. That's, don't put that burden on yourself. Your responsibility is to do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do and then let God do the rest. Because at that point, it's off of you. Psalms 89.1, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. See, you can do something with your mouth. Remember in James, there is life and death in the power of the tongue. So your tongue and your mouth can either deliver a wicked message or it can be used to declare and make known thy faithfulness, the faithfulness of God to all generations. Psalms 89.2, for I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shalt thou establish in the very heavens. And the heavens shall praise thy wonders, O Lord, thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. See, when you use your tongue and you're carrying around the faithfulness of God, the word of God, look at the promise of the last one. The Lord exhorts you for that. He will lift you up and strengthen you for that. In Psalms 40, verse 10, I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. Oh, go to the next slide, Aaron. I'm sorry. You went back one. Psalms 89, 33, Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. Psalms 96, 13, before the Lord, for he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. That is a, that is a harsh uh, truth out of the word of God that Jesus, he is coming back to judge the earth and he's going to set up a kingdom 
And he's not coming back to be a suffering servant to die once again on our behalf. He did that already. He's coming back to judge the earth. And we, from Revelation 19, get to come with him. And if you can look past the trials and tribulations of this world and what the enemy throws at you and look to eternity and the millennium, you have more to look forward to than any other generation that's ever lived on the earth because he has more promises about his second coming than his first in an order of magnitude of eight to one. And he fulfilled every one of them literally the first time. He's going to fulfill every one of them literally the second time. And every second we draw closer to that moment. It's like a clock. It's just waiting on that last person to accept Jesus from the book of Romans. Remember, he says the blindness in part has come to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. That's a term for the fullness of the church. That's a term for when the last person gets saved, the father is going to look at the son and say, go get him. Bring your bride home. And it's that last person. There may be one, someone in your family. There may be someone in, at your office. There may be someone, a childhood friend from school, whatever, that's that last person. You have the obligation to use your tongue, right, for the, to carry the faithfulness of God and to share the word with those people, the lost of the world, and to exhort the body in the process. In Psalms 98.3, he hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. That will happen in the millennium. All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God when he returns to save his people, Israel. That's what that whole time period is about, the seven-year tribulation. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. It's not the time of the church's trouble. In fact, Jesus promises us from Revelation 3 that he will keep us from the very time of trouble as the church. That's not to preserve us through it. That's to remove us from time itself, which is outside of the dimensions you and I live in right now in the throne room of the universe. So you're removed from the time where time has no impact on you because we're eternal. And that's one of the things that you need to let people that are not saved understand is they're eternal whether they like it or not. And you can prove that through quantum physics and mechanics. And we're going to look at that in the next set of verses when we get to them. But Hebrews 11.2 and 11.3 go into that. It's the greatest physics book ever written. And when you realize the truth of what we are discovering now in quantum physics by spending billions and billions of dollars, it's what the Lord said simply in black and white over 2,000 years ago, and it's there. He, he's declared it because he set the rules and the boundaries. And so when you understand that, you can win someone over very easily if they have any kind, any kind of mind to think that way. Psalms 119, verse 30, I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. You can choose, this reminds me of Joshua, right? Choose you this day whom you will serve, God or mammon. And you can choose. Every day as you walk, you can choose. It's a choice. When you wake up in the morning, you get to choose. Who am I serving today? The world and the flesh or King Jesus? That's your choice. And it's continual. And don't kid yourself that if you choose Jesus one day, that means you've chose serving him every day thereafter. You have to make a choice daily. 
to walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. In Psalms 119.75, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, that thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. See, God, God's raising a family. And so if you are not being chastened by the Lord, you need to check where your walk is with him because whom he chastens, he loves as a legitimate son, according to Hebrews. And if God is working on you and trying to get something out of your life to get you to move forward in a productive way for the kingdom, it is uncomfortable. It's, it can be something that you want to run away from, but sanctification is uncomfortable. The furnace of Jesus as a consuming fire is uncomfortable until you submit, and then it is very comfortable, and you realize, wow, I've been holding on to a lot of baggage that I've needed to let go in the throne room of the universe and serve him in all truth and faithfulness. Psalms 119.86, all thy commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help thou me. Jesus promised us the perfect life without persecution, right? When we serve him? No, he did not. Jesus, in fact, said the opposite. He said, you will have persecutions. And count it all joy. Because if you are serving him in the right way, and you are living for him, people will persecute you, and it will be the most illogical reason you will ever hear in your life. And I've experienced this in my, when we lived in Kansas City, there, were, there just were things that people around us would say and throw railing accusations at me and talk about me behind my back or whatever, and it's, it's uncomfortable because you're like, well, Lord... And I am just, all I'm doing is, you know, praying before my meal. <laughs> I'm not even affecting them or whatever it is. You know, that's a silly example, but you get my point. And, but the world will hate you because of him, not because of you. And so don't, don't take it personal. When you're going through that, you need to understand that they hate the God you serve. They don't hate you. And when you understand that truth and that concept, it really makes the whole weight of it just come off because you realize, okay, they really just don't like Jesus. This has nothing to do with Matt Freeman or whomever. You know, insert your name there. They hate who you stand for. And the world right now, if you haven't noticed, since 2020 really hates what you stand for. And the world is going to continue hating what you stand for because you stand for light and truth and faith in God and that he is a righteous king that is going to come back and need out righteous judgment. And you've got to cling on to that and don't grow weary. Proverbs twelve seventeen, he that speaketh truth showeth forth righteousness, but a false witness deceit. Again, think about how faithfulness and truth is so often in the word of God linked to what you say by your tongue. He that speaks truth, that's that same word, shows forth righteousness. Lying lips are abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. You've got to deal truthfully. And if you deal truthfully and you come alongside people and you deal faithfully and truthfully out of the word of God, you can get through anything. 
Isaiah 25, 1, O Lord, thou art my God, I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. That means the entire word of God is faithfulness and truth. Now, we know that to be true because, like I said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. The word was God. Who is truth? Truth is not a concept. Truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. He declared that in John, I am the truth. He is the truth. And so if you put everything in your life through the filter of Jesus, you'll find truth. In Isaiah 33, 6, And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Again, faithfulness being linked to stability. Isaiah 59, 4, None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. Again, speaking. Look at what God's saying there in Isaiah 59, 4. Speaking. They speak lies and conceive mischief. Jeremiah 5, verse 1, Run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem and see now and know and seek in the broad places thereof if ye can find a man, if there be any that executeth judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon it. Look at Jeremiah 5, verse 3. O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? God does not miss what's been going on the last two years, two and a half years, really, in the world. He doesn't miss it. His eyes are upon the truth, and He's going to bring that in. We're going to talk about that a lot. Remember, I think after we finish the book of Hebrews, I I do think we'll spend a few weeks going through prophecy from the Word of God, and I want to give you all an overview so you are equipped to understand the times of the seasons that we are in and what the Lord says from cover to cover in His Word prophetically that is still yet to be fulfilled. Because I, I want you to be able to look with your faith, the Word of God, and put it up against the headlines you see today and recognize where this is heading because it will encourage you. It'll make you realize, okay, I've got to run harder for Jesus right now than I ever have in my life. And so I, we will do that after we finish Hebrews. Jeremiah 5.3, O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth. Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved, and thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. Notice the concept there. See, like I mentioned, the chastening and being in a fire of the sanctification process, if you're not familiar with this, there are three tenses of salvation in the Bible. Justification, you are removed from the very penalty of sin itself. You are saved once and for all. You didn't do anything to earn it. You do nothing to lose it. It's by him and him alone. You are, as the Bible would declare, you are justified. You are forever saved. And you immediately start the sanctification process where you are removed from the power of sin in your life. That's why so many people, when they hear, well, you just got to repent and be saved. That is the, the worst lie the enemy has ever crept into the church. Because you have no authority or power over your sin before you're saved. You are a slave to it. You can't repent. Repentance is just to turn away from. That's all it is. 
and the power to turn away from it comes once you have the Holy Spirit sealed and forever indwelling you in your life. And that only happens one way, Romans 10, verse 9, that you confess the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Once you do that, then you start the sanctification process to turn away from everything that was enslaving you in your life in the past. That's what that's talking about. And as you're going through that, that furnace gets pretty hot. There may be things that you didn't even know in your life that you need to lay down. But look at what the Lord says in Jeremiah 5, verse 3. Thou hast stricken them. He's chastening. He's sanctifying. He's trying to burn away things off of their lives because they just fashioned a golden calf after being saved by the blood of the lamb. He's trying to wake them up. And yet, and then they went on through Israel forever after that. And Jeremiah gets to the point where they are about as wicked as it gets. And the Lord still, out of his love, is calling them to a relationship. But they've grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. Why did they go to Babylon? They went to Babylon for 70 years into captivity because they refused the word of the Lord. They were supposed to not, not sow the land one year, <clears throat> one year for every 70 years, right? They were not supposed to do that. And so they were supposed to give the land a Sabbath. And they didn't do that for 490 years. So for 70 years, they didn't let the land rest. And the Lord said, I've got to take you into captivity. You're not listening to my word. And there were some other reasons, but that's why he gives that in Second Chronicles and Deuteronomy and lots of spots, he was going to do that. So that's why they had to go into captivity, because they didn't listen to God's word. He was trying to wake them up, but they've refused to receive correction, and they have made their faces harder than a rock. They refuse to return. Jeremiah 7, verse 28, But thou shalt say unto them, This is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth correction. Truth is perished and is cut off from their mouth. There it is again, about the mouth and the tongue where truth can live or perish. Jeremiah 9, verse 3, And they bend their tongues like their bow for lies, but they are not valiant for the truth. Again, tongues. What are you bending your tongue for? Are you bending it for faithfulness and truth out of the word of God or something else to let the enemy use it? Upon the earth, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they know not me, saith the Lord. Lamentations 3, verse 23, they are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. So there it is again. Every morning you get the chance to choose whom do you serve, faithfulness and truth in Jesus or the world. Hosea 2.20, this is the last one in the Old Testament we'll look at. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. So that, that's out of the Old Testament. When you, look, when you go through those, I could have listed a lot more. I didn't list them all. But when you read through those, I would encourage you to go back in the Old Testament and just look at that over and over and over because that's what faith, how, it's, how it shows up in your life and what you do with it. So this word faith in the New Testament is pistis, like we mentioned. It occurs 244 times in 228 verses in the New Testament. And I thought we could read each one of them and be here until 3 o'clock today and just miss lunch. No, I'm kidding. But we're going to look at a few of these in the New Testament. Matthew 8, 5. This is where it first shows up. 
in the New Testament. This is when, it, when the centurion comes to Jesus to heal his servant. Matthew 8, 5, when Jesus was entered in Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to him that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. See, again, the Jews had no faith because they were not listening to the word of God. But somehow this Gentile Roman leader got it. He got it. He understood. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now, that is an incredible verse. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have long been dead by this point, but they are resurrected in the kingdom, in the millennium. There's three times in the Old Testament that God talks about in the millennium, David will be resurrected to be the prince of Israel. The Old Testament saints are resurrected with their new bodies when Jesus steps foot back on the earth, not at the rapture. That's when the church, when we get our new bodies, they get theirs when he returns. But Many will come from the east and the west to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is going to be incredible. And notice Jesus is very specific here. In the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to look at that too at some point. We're going to do a study on the kingdom of heaven versus the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of heaven is on the earth. It's from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. So all he needed to do was go to Jesus and declare faith. Now that outer darkness is not hell or Hades. We'll look at that too when we look at the difference. It's something much different. Matthew 9 verse 2. Here's faith again. Behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed, and Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. So faith is healing. Having faith in the word of God can heal you. How could Jesus see their faith, though, if the faith is the evidence of things not seen? Think about that. Look what Jesus said. Jesus, seeing their faith, See, God is the only one that knows the intents and discernments of the heart. And faith is the evidence of things not seen. He sees the heart and how much faith you have in what you're in. So think about that. That's, that's an important concept. Matthew 9, 22, but Jesus turned him about. And when he saw her, he said, daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. Again, faith is healing. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. Faith is healing. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Faith is healing. I, think you're, I hope you're getting a 
a pattern here. Lack of faith can have the opposite effect. Can you go back one, or Aaron? Yeah, lack of faith can have the opposite effect. It can stall your works for the kingdom. Matthew 17, look at verse 14. And when they were come to the multitude, then came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed, for oftentimes he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, or the demon, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as the grain of a mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall, re- it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out by prayer and fasting. That verse about casting out that demon, howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Remember, we looked at this after Revelation when we did Let There Be War, parts one and two. That verse is one of the many verses that the NIV has removed to, to cripple God's word. And when you look, if you weren't here for that study, go back and look at that. The enemy does not want you to know how to cast out that certain demon by prayer and fasting. And when you understand that the publishing company that owns the copyrights to the NIV is the same publishing company that prints the Satanic Bible, that is all you need to know. Because they have removed verse after verse after verse from the Word of God. And there is a very strict penalty for that three times in God's Word. He says, don't add or take away from my Word. It's exactly how Eve fell. She added to God's word. God said, don't eat of the tree. She said, well, he said, don't eat of it or touch it. That's not what he said. He said, don't eat of it. And she added, don't touch it. And so she was deceived and fell. And so you've got to be aware of that. When you're aware of what the enemy is trying to do to piece apart slowly God's word, it can, it can boil up a, a righteous indignation in you of how dare they. But It's there. If you didn't listen to that, go back and listen to Let There Be War, part one and two. But your limitations for work in the kingdom are a function of your faith. So these disciples, think about this, they walked with Jesus for for three and a half years in the flesh. That's a lot of time with the Lord. And when you add it up, if you you can do the math, but how if you say, okay, they slept eight hours a day. They were with him 16 hours a day for three years. Do the math. It's a lot of time. And yet they still lacked the faith to cast out this demon. See, your lack of faith can either heal you or stall you. The disciples could not cast out a demon and set someone free because of their unbelief. They lacked the faith. So the challenge is for all of us to not lack the faith. Okay, Matthew 21, 21. Jesus answered and said to him, Verily I say unto you, if ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. You can move mountains in the kingdom with your faith. 
If you have enough faith, you can absolutely move mountains for God's kingdom. He is not saying that figuratively. That is a literal statement by the Lord. It's probably very physical, too. I've often wanted to go down to Mount Scott and just see if I could cast it into Lake Latonka, but I haven't tried it yet. So maybe, maybe we'll all take a trip down there, try that sometime. That'd be fun. All of us together, maybe we could do it in unison if we're walking in agreement. Mark eleven twenty two, and Jesus answering saith unto them, have faith in God. So again, this is what the world tries to spin, right? You've got to have faith. Have faith in what? Well, according to Mark eleven twenty two, faith in God. And the level of your faith will dictate your response during trials and storms in your life. Now, let's look at that example in Luke 8. Remember, the disciples were in the boat with Jesus in the storm. But as they sailed, he fell asleep, and there came down a storm of wind on the lake. And they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him. This was an unnatural storm, by the way. If you've ever seen the, the Dead Sea, it is not a sea at all. It's, it, it's very small. You could see from one side to the other. Dangerous storms don't brew on the Dead Sea. I don't know how many of you ever have ever been to a small lake. You know, Eufaula, uh, Beaver's Bend, down at Lake Latonka and Lawton, whatever, Arcadia. Dangerous storms don't form on those lakes. This is very unnatural. This is an attack by Satan on Jesus. He's trying to wipe him out. And they came to him and awoke him saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind. Why do you rebuke the wind? Well, Satan's the prince of the power of the air. He's rebuking Satan. And the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, where is your faith? And they being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, what manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and water, and they obey him. See, they should have known that Jesus and they could not be taken out right now. He hadn't died yet. They should have known from Isaiah and many prophecies in the Old Testament that he was to die and be buried for three days and rise again. But they got fearful because they were lacking the faith in his word that he would actually fulfill it. So that's a, that's a tactic of the enemy. The enemy will try to attack you to, to make you not trust in his word. So how should we act in our faith? Luke twenty two twenty four, And there is also a strife among them. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? Okay, the disciples are arguing. Which one's worthy of the most praise, right, from the Lord? And he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he that is chief, as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, in other words, Who's greater, he that sits down at the table and is served a meal, or he that serveth? Is not that he that sitteth at meat the greater? Go back one, uh, seeth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. And so Jesus, Jesus is calling out that you've got to humbly serve. That's the point he's making there. Luke twenty two twenty eight. 28, ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations, and I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That's his appointment for the disciples. They had something to look forward to. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. You know, that Satan has desired to have you also. 
He has desire. He roams around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's the key, though, whom he may. He can't devour you if you're built up and strengthened by the word of God and walking humbly with Jesus. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. That's what we are to do, strengthen thy brethren. And he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And he said unto them, when I sent you without purse and script and shoes, lacked ye anything? And he said, nothing. Then said he unto them, but now he hath a purse, let him take it. And likewise his script. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Jesus is giving us a concept here that when you're walking with him and chasing after him in the things of the Lord, he provides everything you need. That you don't need to try to be your own source of provision. And a lot of people try to do that today in, in a lot of different ways. They try to be their own defense. They try to store up their own provision in, in any, anything, food, money, uh, guns. They try to store up, you name it. And the Lord's saying, I'll be your provision. Go out and declare the gospel. Luke twenty two thirty seven. for I say unto you that this, is, that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me, and he was reckoned among the transgressions for the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, it is enough. See, you don't need three, four, five, six, seven swords. You just, Jesus was saying you need two. It's interesting in Roman law, if you, if you carried more than two swords, you were considered an insurrectionist according to their own law, which is kind of funny thinking about today. But we know how Peter started, extremely enthusiastic, right, and zealous for the Lord, but he still drifted away and lacked the faith to walk with the Lord. And so since Peter denied and fell away, he was demoted after the resurrection. Look at Mark 16, verse 17. This was after Jesus was resurrected. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name, Shall they cast out devils? They shall speak with new tongues. Did I have the wrong verse there? Oh, I guess I did. Um, that verse, that I, was, I must have copied the wrong one. I'm sorry about that. But if you go back and look in Mark, Jesus says after the resurrection, go tell the disciples and Peter. So Peter was no longer a, considered a disciple at that point because he had denied Jesus. He was considered outside that group. He had been removed as the title of a disciple. Okay, let's look at this. Last time we covered this verse. Now, the just shall live by faith. That's that quote from Habakkuk 2.4. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Jesus is pleading with all of us to continue running the race he has set before you, to continue to press on for him. And that phrase out of Habakkuk 2.4, it's covered in three books of the, of the New Testament. It's quoted in all three. Who are the just? The book of Romans. That's quoted in Romans 1.17. How shall the just live? The book of Galatians. Galatians 3.11. And what does it mean to live by faith? The book of Hebrews in Hebrews 10.39. God delights in you pressing on in Christ and not drawing back to continue to run the race that he has for you and your family. And we looked at these rewards last time. Remember the five crowns in the Bible that are listed. This is not an all-inclusive list. The crown of life, James 1.12 and Revelation 2.10. Crown of righteousness, 
crown of glory in 2 Timothy 4.8, crown of glory, I'm sorry, crown of glory in 1 Peter 5.4, crown imperishable in 1 Corinthians 9.25, the crown of rejoicing in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. Look at each one of those. There's the reference, and it will show you exactly what you do to get that crown. It's tied to something specific. The reward to be an overcomer, to press on with Jesus, to eat of the tree of life, not hurt of the second death, hidden manna, white stone with a new name on it, power over the nations, right raiment, a pillar and a new name, sit with Christ on his throne, and inherit all things. That's, all those are promises to the overcomer in Revelation 2, 3, and 21. So how are you an overcomer? Well, you remain loyal to God, Revelation 2, 1 through 3. Don't lose your first love. The church at Ephesus had done this. They lost their first love in the Lord, and they instead were loving the things of the world. That's his warning to them in Revelation 2. You overcome trials and tribulations while remaining faithful. We're all going to have trials and tribulations, and the better response is faith in Jesus. That's the response that we should all have. Be spiritually zealous for the Lord. Do not deny Jesus. Do not defile your garments and keep the word of his patience. That's how you become an overcomer. Remember also from last time, for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. He will not tarry for yet a little while. How close are we to going home in the rapture? We talked about that list last time, and we're going to cover it in a lot of detail when we study prophetically where are we right now on the line in the Bible that God wrote out. But when you look at the global characteristics after the catching away, after in the Greek, the harpazo of the church, it's very clear. There's a global governance by 10 kings. That's all from Daniel and Revelation. The rise of a one world leader out of those 10 kings who is the Antichrist. Now we can't know who he is according to 2 Thessalonians until the church is removed. The restraining power of the Holy Spirit must be removed. Then... That, that lawless one, the son of perdition, is revealed. So that's a key. Don't look for the Antichrist. Look for Jesus Christ as the church. You've got to look for him because he's going to come and take us home before he's revealed. Now, that doesn't mean you won't see the stage setting of the one world system that he's going to walk into and take over. And that's what you've been seeing for the last two and a half years is the stage setting. And what you're seeing is, I, I honestly, as a, as a kid, loved prophecy and loved studying prophecy in, in middle school and high school, and I didn't fully understand it until after college. And that was only by the anointing of the Holy Spirit that he started connecting everything, forming a lot of prayer and seeking him. But I often thought as a kid, you know, that it, we would all just be cheery and, and everybody be fine, and then, the, and then boom, the church would be gone one day, and it would just spin into total chaos. It's kind of spinning into chaos before we're out of the way. And I think the Lord is doing that for a reason, to let you see and get a glimpse of just how bad it will be. I mean, if you thought the world was bad in 2020, you have seen absolutely nothing yet. And it's going to be the time, like Jesus said, of trouble, which has never come on the world before or will ever come on again. And the Lord is giving you an opportunity and a privilege to see it, to know how to pray on behalf of his people and the people that are unsaved to get in the ark now before it's too late. But wars, famines, pestilences, complete control of the financial system by the Antichrist, there's no sign of that, right, going on anywhere in the world. 
with a digital currency or anything. The call for a mark to be implemented, definitely not happening yet. Uh, do, we see, do you see any of this right now? That's the point I'm trying to drive home. When you look at that, and we're going to look at a lot of that when we, when we dive through prophecy after Hebrews. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So even in this verse, the Lord is clarifying, your soul is at stake, not your spirit. Your salvation is in your spirit. What you do in sanctification is in your soul, your mind, body, and emotions. And your spirit needs to guide that. Do not let your soul guide your spirit. If you are driven by emotions, you will be destroyed. I was so angry, I wanted to fill in the blank, right? That's being driven by your emotions. Don't let that happen. You tell those emotions, you tell fear, anxiety, anger, lust, greed, all of those are emotions. You tell every one of them, I do not have to listen to your voice anymore. I am a son of the living God, and I am telling you by the blood of Jesus, I have been delivered by this, and you are not going to control my spirit and my emotions any longer. And get behind me, because the spirit of the living God is leading me. That's your prayer. And just say that. So when you think about drawing into perdition, what does that look like? Luke 9, 62, and Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of heaven, something different, the kingdom of God. Think about Lot's wife. When she looked back, she turned to a total pillar of salt and her, her walk stalled and stopped at that moment because she was looking in the Hebrew longingly back. She was grieving for what God delivered her out of. She was missing it. She missed the things of the world that that comfortable life was giving her. She missed it. And so it's not a walk. It's, it's not, this is a walk, not a sprint. That's, and that's part of the key too. So do not grow weary, but stay strong in Jesus. And the unshakable kingdom is approaching. The last few verses out of Hebrews 12 this is incredible. See that ye refuse not him, we're just about finished here, that speaketh. For if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. That's where Jesus is. He's speaking from heaven right now. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. That's a voice, a voice from Isaiah when he talks about moving the earth out of her place of orbit during the tribulation. That physically is going to happen. He's going to shake the heavens with the sound of his voice that spoke them into existence. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken. That's what he was doing in 2020. A lot of sifting and shaking as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. The only thing that cannot be shaken is your life on the rock that is Jesus. Everything else is on sifting sand and will absolutely break your heart and fail you. Wherefore, we receive a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. That is something that we all should take into account, that our God is a consuming fire. 
We are to have a healthy fear of the Lord. We are to have a healthy servant's heart for the Lord because he's going to shake up a lot of things. Everything, I've mentioned this before, but everything in 2020 that Christians may have held up as idols, he tore down. The stock market, your job, go stay home for a while. Movies are going to stop producing. Sports are going to shut down. Get in your house and you're not going to do anything for a long time. It was the first time since the Passover that every Christian on earth was shuttered in a home. First time on earth. Think about that. And the, and the Lord is marching through the earth right now and releasing his people to set them free, just like in the Exodus event. Hebrews 9.28, this is the call to action. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So you have a responsibility to be watching for the return of Jesus. And there's a crown for that. It's one of those crowns we listed earlier. In 2 Timothy 4.8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. So if you are loving and looking for the appearing of the Lord, there is a crown laid up for you in 2 Timothy 4.8. It's a crown of righteousness. And you're going to go into the throne room of the universe in Revelation 4 and 5, and whatever crowns you've been given at the Bema seat of Christ, you're going to throw them at his feet in total worship and surrender to him and celebrate what Jesus did on behalf of you and I because it's only by him that we even get that opportunity. So don't show up to the, to the party empty-handed, right? It's so embarrassing to come to a birthday party as a kid and you don't have a gift when you walk in. It's like, oh, I forgot, forgot that. Don't do that. In the garden they were to watch. In Matthew 26, 38, then saith he unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, could you not watch just one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. If you're, if you're trying to rely on your flesh to watch, it will fail you. So be watchful. The signs of Jesus are everywhere. And we covered a lot of lists. So just go to the next slide there, Aaron. But look at those verses. He says, watch, 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 watch watch throughout the entire New Testament. In Mark 13, 37, what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. And you've got to rightly divide the return of Jesus to gather his church and the return to earth in power. They are two totally different events. One, we meet him in the air. One, he steps foot on the earth. One, we are given a new body in the twinkling of an eye. And physically, that's what the speed of light used to be probably in the days of Adam and how fast it could go through the lens of your retina. That's how quick it's gonna happen, just like that. And you're gonna have a new body and be in the throne room of the universe and everything else is gonna wash away. But it's time, it is time for the church to rise up in these days and to take the fight to the enemy. Do not let the enemy get a foothold in your life. Satan will try very hard for you to pick something up and to carry it with you and then you start to carry it around to other people and it starts to spread when what you need to do is to pick that up and go lay it in the throne room of the universe and give it to him and let him take that burden off of you. So the weapons of our warfare, the verse we cover today, what is faith? It's the substance of things hoped for, Jesus, and the evidence of things not seen. Why is it important? Hebrews 11:6. 6. 
It's impossible to please him without it. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So you need to take it serious and know how to get it, which is Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You cannot let someone else build up your faith for you. You have to do it on your own, in the word of God, in your time with the Lord. That's the only way. You're not gonna get it by reading a commentary. You're not gonna get it by coming to church. You're not gonna get it by anything else, your spouse, your children. You have to do it on your own and be in the Bible. That's where the Lord builds you up and speaks to you personally. He's the author, so get with him. And do not be negligent. Run that you may obtain from 1 Corinthians. So if you need to know how to, how to get saved, it's very simple. Romans 10, 9. If you're watching this, if you find this video later and you don't know Jesus, it's very simple. Romans 10, 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It is so simple. You don't have to do anything to add to it and nothing can take away from it. That's how you get saved. So without I'll close us in prayer, Lord, I just thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for, for giving us such great insight into the definition of faith and how it operates in our lives through our tongues, through your word, through healing of the sick and the lame, through casting out demons. And Lord, it is the way that we do not drift away and fall away and turn into a pillar of salt and look longingly at the world. Lord, let not our walks with you stall, but let them continue in all truth for you, God. We love you. We praise your name. Be with everyone at New City Church, God. Every family, every child, every married couple, every individual, be with us and conquer by faith anything in our lives that the enemy would seek to tear it apart. We love you and we give you all of the praise and the honor for it, Lord Jesus, in advance. In your name we pray, amen.